Since the dawn of civilization, humans have endeavored to become stronger and faster. From the invention of the wheel to today, history is replete with men and women who have applied innovation to fitness. But in the past 50 years, while millions have made livings in this industry, a select few have taken that passion to the highest level, creating brands and products known across the globe. Today we celebrate these pioneers, for they are the Gym Class Heroes. All right, welcome everybody to Gym Class Heroes Episode 2, presented by Athletic Business Magazine and the iClubs Conference, November 20th to 22nd, 2013, in San Diego, favorite city, California, San Diego. San Diego. It is impossible to say San Diego without wanting to make a Will Ferrell reference, but uh, we did it. We're professionals. We did. We, we were able to ignore it. We were. We were. Why don't we agree to disagree? We agreed. Yeah. I, we, uh, so anyways, welcome to uh, Gym Class Heroes. We uh, Very cool thing. Episode 2 is where we are here. A lot of people said we wouldn't make it past Episode 1. So. <laughs> it was the pilot. It, it was, was the, pilot. the pilot. So everything after this is just gravy. Um, it's really about, you know, this is with uh, iClubs, uh, the iClubs conference, which is about independent uh, individuals in the fitness industry. And that's what this show is about, independence, entrepreneurism. And the health and fitness industry. The health and for being a leader. And, uh, and that's what we're doing. So we're excited today. We have uh, the great Colin Irving is joining us from, uh, from across the country. Colin. Hi, guys. In uh, in beautiful Santa Monica. Uh, yeah, that's close enough. Sure. Close, <laughs> close enough. Close enough. It's good. So, uh, but Colin Irving is the the founder and and uh, creator and pre CEO of Real Rider, and pretty cool to have you on. You know, this relationship goes back, I think, maybe two years. I remember when I first came into MotionSoft, Hossein was absolutely all he talked about was this company and this product is the coolest thing I have seen in the fitness industry. Did you not? Absolutely. And in fact, I remember when they were just little kids. They've grown up like weeds. They were. They had a, a small 10 by 10 booth that I was walking by, and uh, I looked at their bike, and I was like, wow, just something that makes sense. Uh, I am actually a proud owner of a real rider bike. Uh, use it pretty regularly. Uh, it's a great, great product. It works. It does exactly what it says it's going to do. And uh, I've written a couple good blogs about it, quite frankly. You do, yeah. No, absolutely. It's been uh, been since the beginning. I kind of I don't know who I want to explain what it is, whether Colin or whether you have the the uh, the insights. But Colin, I'm going to ask you. Tell us a little bit about what the real rider bike is, and what well, I don't even know if you call it a bike. Um, yeah, I do. I call it a bike, and um, you know, uh, I, I also just you know first want to say thanks, guys, um, for for having me on. And uh, classy thing to do. For all of your support, uh, Hussein has has been a um, a real fan and supporter, and uh, and uh, he's a favorite on our team. So um, uh, it's 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 not unnoticed. And uh, uh, I, I you know I love the opportunity to talk about uh, our bike. And uh, yeah, I do. I call it a bike. Um, sometimes I call it an indoor bike. Uh, and I, the only thing I don't do is call it a stationary bike. Um, and uh, I guess, you know, for people who, who aren't familiar with The Real Rider, um, the working title when, when uh, I first started trying to get this thing off the ground was uh, The Unstationary Bike. 
And that, that catchy little phrase is, is how I managed to convince my friends and family to invest some money and, and, and help see if I could um, get this thing off the ground, this, this uh, idea I had really had uh, since I was a kid um, that uh, someone um, could make a, a, a bike uh, like a stationary bike or that lived in the footprint of a stationary bike, but that was more like a bike and, and, and more fun. And that, that was really the, the inspiration um, uh, you know, behind the whole project. Um, it, it took almost 20 years of, of just sort of uh, kind of thinking about this thing. Um, I didn't have an engineering or um, design background. Um, I was just a, a cyclist. Um, and, but even really before I was a, um, a real cyclist or before I knew I was uh, a cyclist, I was just a kid who rode a bike. Uh, who, who looked at stationary bikes and, 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 and kind of shook my head and, and just didn't really understand why, um, uh, why you know, we as, a, um, I don't know, designers and developers had, had stopped um, there. Uh, I got it. I get that the stationary bike is, uh, is something you can pedal um, and exercise on, but I, what I, I just didn't understand was why uh, no one had, had tried to make it more uh, dynamic or interesting or, or fun. Right. Well, so and it, it's a great segue because you talked about what you came, what what you have, what you, what you saw, and a little bit of why there was the interest in doing it. But I think what's even fascinating is, is about the longer journey of how you got there, uh, because uh, you know people may not, people may know you from Real Rider, but you have a a pretty significant background. You didn't start in the fitness industry. Uh, those who may not know, you were an actor, and you not only were an actor, but I'd say you were one of the most, uh, you have one of the most memorable roles for people of my age uh, in, in movie history, which is you were Chet Danbury in Dead Poet Society. <laughs> That's right. One of, one of the, the more infamous um, cutting room floor victims, uh, <laughs> Chet Danbury. Um, <laughs> But I did, uh, you know, the, I think I, the role was just good enough that they couldn't cut me out completely. So, um, <laughs> it did help drive the story. But, uh, no, I, I think... I think, yeah, absolutely. That's, that's why they couldn't cut me out entirely. That's um, funny. But, yeah, y y you're right. I was. I, I played Chet Danbury. And, you were, uh, and, so, and so for those who may not remember the movie, and, and if you've seen it, you, you certainly remember, there's the character Knox Overstreet who falls in love with the girl, and he, the whole movie is about him trying to get her, and she is engaged to all-American icon, pretty boy, everything perfect football star Chet, Chet Danbury. Yeah, how I ever got that role is beyond me. But uh, what, <laughs> what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Well, I yeah. actually a lot of people don't know Hossein. Hossein was second in line for that role. Oh, I'm so oh, sorry, sorry, Hossein. I had no idea. Yeah. <laughs> 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 they were like, "Do we have somebody a little Persian American who might be able to best represent that?" But I mean, but that's—I I knew there was another guy. I just didn't know who he was. Well. <laughs> and yet, he still supports you to this day. So, um, but but tell me—I mean, so obviously, started in acting. Was that the real dream? Was to be an actor? Um, yeah, I think it was. But it, you know, it's funny. I, I um, I think I kind of fell into the acting by uh, default or, or by chance. I thought it was the real dream. 
for a long time. And um, but now I, I, I kind of joke about it and say I was I was really a pretty crummy actor. Uh, I spent a lot of time trying to do it, and uh, Dead Poets Society was was sort of the highlight of uh, of uh, you know of a lot of work. Um, but uh, you know my my acting dreams and and and, and aspirations really. I think all sort of paled uh, when I took on the uh, the Real Writer Project, and uh, I guess when I say I sort of fell into it by default, I, you know, I I was in school productions as a kid. I um, I, I always you know tried out for school plays and acted, and and I think I was one of those people who people told me I should act or I should keep acting. Um, and so I did. And acting's a lot of fun when you're getting jobs um, and if you're working. Um, but uh, it's it's also really hard, and it's not fun at all when you're not working. And it's it's not the kind of thing you can really. I don't know. It's not like <clears throat> um, uh, sports, uh, which you know really were my my other passion as uh, growing up, where you can kind of train on your own and do your own thing and. Um, uh, with acting, you're, you're you're either kind of in something or you aren't, and um, when you aren't, it's a very different process, and, and it's, it's not a whole whole lot of fun. I, I kind of got burnt out on it. And, um, uh, ultimately, I realized that you know my acting wasn't so much a dream or, or, or what I really wanted to do as much as it was a, a means to um, uh, live the lifestyle. Um, that I was choosing at the time, which you know, I, what I really, really wanted to do was be a professional cyclist. Oh, really? <laughs> and, yeah, uh, and or that's what it sort of merged into. And um, uh, after college, I had started, you know, riding bikes again, racing bikes again, um, which I had done as a kid, but then hadn't done for uh, several years. And uh, mountain biking was just becoming a big thing, and uh, I was getting some good results, and I was really feeling like, wow, this is this this could be um, a neat a, a neat thing for me. And uh, I kind of went from living and breathing and and, and just wanting to get um, acting jobs to to just wanting to try and get a couple of gigs a year so I could kind of support my my, my cycling habit um, and and travel and uh, race. How do you get into that? How do you get into professional cycling from from the point of like, oh, I like I like being on a cycle. Like, where, how, how does that? You know, there's no college recruiters or uh, or scouts. No, out. it's 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 um, you know, it's literally just um, suiting up and going to races and, and, and getting results. And um, once you get a couple results, then you can try to get some sponsors and um, sort of see where where you slot in physiologically and see if you if you sort of have a chance. Um, uh, so yeah, I dedicated several years of my life to to sort of pushing myself and, and trying to ride um, a lot and, and trying to get good results. And yeah, once I had sort of been bitten by that, that bug, um, uh, that really became sort of like my, uh, my passion or my focus. And, and the acting was almost a... Um, you know, a means to that end. Uh, if I could get a commercial or two a year, uh, or a pilot or two a year, or get, get something, then um, I could really support myself as you know what 
that they call in the, the cycling world as a privateer, um, uh, because you know I was uh, I, I made it up to I, I sort of describe it as, as like the equivalent of triple A ball, um, uh, where I had sponsors and and they would pay for my gear and and even my entry fees and some travel, but. Um, not the not the big leagues, not the full ticket, not a. a what was contract. the highlight, Colin? What was the highlight of your professional racing career? If Dead Poets was the highlight of your of your acting career, where what was that moment when you were like, "Wow, this is pretty awesome that I'm a professional cyclist"? Um. Uh, yeah, that's a tough one. You know, cycling's <laughs> a brutal sport. So I, I, I guess the highlights were, were, were winning some local and regional uh, races and really sort of feeling like I might have um, might uh, have, have a crack at, at getting a, a full-blown, you know, pro um, sponsorship ride. Um, but it's also pretty, it, it's a pretty humbling experience. You know, we always used to say there's in a bike race. If 100 guys line up, there's, there's going to be 99 losers. And uh, um, so, yeah, in terms of a highlight, you know, a big result, um, never big enough to really satisfy my, um, uh, you know, what I was looking for. But uh, I, had a, I had a fantastic time, and, 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 I, and I loved racing my bike, and I loved the, um, the camaraderie and the people I got to race with. And uh, it like many things that didn't sort of um, start um, you know clearly defined or end clearly defined at, at some point I realized it just probably wasn't going to happen but I still raced my bike for a couple years after that um, and by then I, I think I knew that the acting also was 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 probably um, I had given it a, a I'd given it a go and um, kind of my best shot, and there, there was a lot of similarities in, in, in racing bikes and, and acting in the, you know, it was, it was like the, the talent pool is, um, is pretty well established, and I would, uh, I would lose acting jobs to, you know, the same three or four or ten people consistently. Like the good jobs would go to all the same people, and it's, it's the same in in competition, it's the same yeah. in bike racing. The top ten uh, were always the top ten, and uh, cracking that top ten was, um, uh, you know, was uh, really really tough and um, uh, not something that could be done consistently. And so, um, I, you know, I came from a from a competitive background. You know, I, I was a wrestler as a kid, wrestled in high school and college, and I think you know competition uh, by nature is uh, exclusive, and, and, and when you're competitive and when you compete, you 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 know you get sort of um, accustomed to um, I, I guess uh, accepting you know where where you, where you're going to slot in in the uh, in the sort of talent pool. Right. And, uh, I, I did that in, in, in really all the aspects of my life that were important as a wrestler I I was a um, I was a pretty accomplished wrestler as a kid uh, and then I got into college um, to wrestle where you know everyone was really accomplished and everyone was tough uh, and at some point I, I realized either I wasn't um, 
going to be going to be good enough to go further, or, or I didn't have the the you know the passion or the um, uh, sort of ability to, to to focus solely on that, uh, and and that's when it sort of petered out, and uh, in in a way that's really what happened with yeah. uh, so, cycling and 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 with the acting. Um, yeah. So you were so you you weren't good enough to win an Oscar. No. You were not good enough. So to I win. gave up, man. I was you like, I can't win an Oscar. <laughs> you weren't good enough to win uh, the Tour de France. Right. Uh, you weren't a, a good enough to win the WWE. And you weren't even the first guest on Gym Class Heroes. <laughs> you weren't even the first guest. <laughs> See? But the first loser. You are the first. <laughs> You're the best, of, the best of the rest. Best. But you've, you've, become, um, you've become pretty well respected in the industry. Uh, you know, I, if, if, uh, if imitation is the greatest form of flattery, uh, there are now other folks out there building real rider-esque type uh, bikes. Uh, nobody's ever matched the original, in my humble opinion. Um, what, what, makes, what was that moment where you were like, this thing is so much better than anything else that's out there? Well, actually, I want to go back even before then. I want him to answer that question. But I want to know what, how you left acting and cycling and said, all right, I'm an entrepreneur. I'm going to start a company and it's totally out of my wheelhouse. I haven't been, you know, well, I get, not entirely. You were in cycling. Yeah, but he's, uh, he's had never... Uh, you never run a company never at this run a, yeah, I mean, And he wasn't even a designer and engineer. He, yeah. just, he just had a vision. Yeah, so how do you... What's the next step? Yeah, that's a good question. I wish I was more um, uh, organized or, or really mapped out um, uh, my future uh, better, guys. <laughs> because <laughs> I, I think like... Many of the things uh, in my life, and, and maybe I'm just, uh, I don't know, hard, hard on myself, but it, it, it wasn't really a grand design. It, it really was, uh, let's try this. Let's, let's take a couple steps in this direction um, uh, and, and, and see how it goes. Uh, and um, it's an interesting, you know, question. Uh, the acting, uh, you know, I had, I had gone away from... Uh, you know, once I realized I wasn't going to win the Tour de France or even get a chance to ride in the Tour de France, um, I sort of re refocused on. Uh, we like on to pronounce it with the proper French technique. France, France, I know. Okay. Tour de France. Tour de France. I actually, have a I actually believe French the word is power. Power de France. <laughs> yeah, sorry, my fault. Um, uh, and so I, I was sort of, you know, entertainment uh, industry seemed uh, most in my wheelhouse, and I was living in, uh, as I am now, in, uh, on the west side of Los Angeles. Uh, and I had friends in the entertainment industry, so I was thinking, well, if I can't really land good acting jobs, maybe I can help create acting jobs for myself. Um, I dabbled in some uh, writing and uh, TV production. I glommed onto a, a group of friends that I had that were producing a TV show, and um, that's no, kind of, that's, no, that's no small bean. Say who those friends were, because that was a pretty cool show you were part. Yeah, the man, the man show was it was it was a great show and a great experience, and and, and the you know the production company, um, uh, you know, uh, was started by a, by a guy I went to high school, um, and then was a uh, was my roommate in New York City uh, in college for a few years. Um, Daniel Kellison and and Jimmy uh, Kimmel and Adam Carolla. Um, were the man show guys and uh, uh, 
that was a you know a, a neat experience hanging around with them, and then and then Adam had a show too late with Adam Carolla uh, that I worked on as well, and and you know right around then I I just had my my first um, uh, kid. Um, that's and I was, you know, I was no more. That's what does it every yeah, time, right? Every dream ends with, well, I had a kid. <laughs> the 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 I could see that the the uh, lifestyle of, of trying to get a couple acting gigs a year so that I could uh, ride my bike a lot and travel around and, and race and um, harbor this sort of uh, fantasy that uh, that uh, I might find another gear and um, get a pro ride. Was, was kind of fading, and I was going. All right, well, I, I'll, I'll, I can work in Hollywood. I, I can work, uh, work in uh, TV production, um, and uh, really try and wrangle myself, um, you know, up uh, some writing or acting gigs uh, along the way. Didn't seem like a like a like a bad alternative, um, and uh, it, it was interesting, and I liked the the people um, I worked with, but it, it really wasn't. Uh, all I had sort of um, hoped for or dreamed for. Uh, I still loved riding my bike. And, you know, uh, I guess in the back of my head, I'd, I'd have this, this, this nagging um, idea, um, literally, for, for decades. And uh, the sort of uh, trigger or, or, or inspiration, I guess it's, it's hard to look back and say, what was that defining moment? Um, uh, I, I met a guy uh, who was working uh, in the fitness industry um, who became my original uh, partner um, and in um, a chance encounter um, and um, shared my idea uh, with him. Uh, again, this is how long ago? Conversation, uh, a sort of, uh, I've always had this, um, I, he was a guy who had, who had done, uh, created some other pieces of equipment. And I said, you know, I've always had this idea for a piece of equipment. I can't believe no one's ever done it. And, and really, that's where it all, um, uh, that's where it all started. And how long ago is this? It was about seven and a half, seven and a half years ago. Gotcha. It would have been I, early, early 07, I guess. I, I've got to ask a question because I think a lot of people are wondering. As you, as of today, if you had to pick a celebrity endorser for the real rider, is it Adam, Adam Carolla, Jimmy Kimmel, or uh, any of the character, any of the uh, any of the actors on Dead Poet Society, including um, who's the main guy? Uh, Robin Williams. No, no, the teacher. <laughs> oh, Robin Williams. Ro yeah. Or Robin Williams. Robin Williams, Ethan Hawke, Adam Carolla or Jimmy Kimmel? Who is the guy you give a bike to and put him in front of a TV? Who well, is your Robin Williams is a bicyclist, isn't he? Yeah, I, I, you know, I can't answer that. Hussain. I would give all of them bikes. Um, uh, Jimmy's got a bike, but he refuses to ride it. So, uh, By the way, the, you, you, Khan, you gave the wrong answer. The right answer would have been Hussain Noshirvani would have been my celebrity endorser. Yeah. I, I, I thought that was an easy one. <laughs> you totally gave me that. <laughs> Softball. Stick yeah. um, to making bikes. Stick to making bikes. Yes. <laughs> so, um, so this is about seven years ago, and you go to him. You say, "Okay, I got an idea." He's he's got a foothold in the industry. You have no foot in the industry at this point. Yeah. Um, yeah, and not really any confidence that this thing could fly, or that it's a good idea, or that I'm gonna 
um, end up doing much with it. Um, I think at that point it was more of a um, uh, almost a curiosity. Like I, I just kind of wanted to wanted to know. Wanted to either put this thing to bed or um, uh, I don't know, flesh it out, see, see see what it was. It was an idea that I'd had, you know, since um, literally like the sixth grade. So I, I was like 11 or 12 years old the first time it occurred to me that stationary bikes were kind of um, silly and boring and not um, uh, doing all that all that they could do. And it seems uh, so obvious. It, 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 it was so obvious, and like I said, it was obvious to me when I was a kid, and it became more obvious to me as I grew up, and then as I turned into a cyclist, and um, uh, I raced bikes as a, you know, as a junior, as a young kid. Uh, I grew up in, in, on the East Coast, and I spent more time on stationary bikes than uh, almost anyone I know. Um, uh, so it wasn't like I didn't... Uh, use or appreciate stationary bikes uh, at a certain you know point I was using them all the time and um, I had uh, you know the turbo trainers the, the stand you put your your road bike on I had rollers which I loved um, uh, I had an old spin bike at one point which I um, which I, I used a lot when you live in Vermont and you're trying to race bikes you spend a fair amount of, of January and February in a in a basement or garage you know, logging miles on um, trainers or stationary bikes. And, can you, and my, can my you sort of pastime, my, my mental kind of pass the time exercise at some point really just became how do, how can I make this experience better? Why, why do I love riding a bike so much? And why is this so uh, painful um, to sit here on a stationary bike? And how can I make it more interesting beyond uh, trying to watch uh, old race videos or uh, listen to music or, um, you know, whatever other distractions I can come up with, but how can I make this better? And uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar with rollers, the, no. um, you know, the training tool that you, you you actually put your road bike on and you ride on oh, sure. three cylinders. They're like uh, three rolling pins. And um, those became my, my favorite training tool. I was a I was a huge fan and proponent of rollers, and I tried to get all my friends to ride them. And um, really, you know, I, I used to call them my sort of secret weapon as a cyclist. I felt like they were the only things that helped improve my ability to ride a bike instead of just my my ability to sort of pump my legs up and down and pedal. And uh, yeah. Uh, so let but let me so let me ask you business class one hundred and one. I mean, so you you. Tell us how you start the business side. You you create a, you just create you get enough money to where you invested your own money to uh, yeah a prototype. Yeah, I, I I decided to take a little time off um, after the Too Late show and and and, and try and um, uh, try and do this and just try try and see if it could happen. So uh, yeah, I put out a a, a very small um, uh, you know private uh, offering business slash business plan um, to friends and family. Uh, I put some of my own money in, um, convinced uh, my family to, to put some money in, and then uh, got a couple of friends to put some money in. We didn't, we didn't invest a whole lot. It wasn't like we were going to try and bite the whole thing off at once. We really wanted to sort of prove the concept. And I had amassed, you know, uh, a couple of dozen sketches and drawings 
uh, over the years. Uh, every once in a while, I would get off my rollers or my stationary bike, or I would come back from a bike ride, and I would have had an idea. Well, maybe if you took a stationary bike and you hung it from the rafters and um, you know anchored it with some bungee cords and put a headset in it. So I, I would just kind of make these uh, pretty rudimentary drawings. Um, uh, but I had a file uh, of them, uh, and then I, I, I wrote up, a, you know, a, a description of what I thought the bike would would be able to do. Of course, we hadn't uh, done it yet; we hadn't um, made one. The closest I'd ever come was, uh, you know, some pretty crude backyard experiments, uh, literally, you know, hanging a bike off the rafters of the garage or off of a post of a swing set. Uh, and trying to figure out, you know, how you would balance or perch a real bike, um, and and how you would limit it so it can't fall over, um, uh, so that you could be pedaling on a on, on a on a bike that's reacting to your pedal strokes and it's sort of they're floating in space, and that really became the the sort of design goal is you know I, okay I want to have a stationary bike that feels like riding rollers um, when you're going in a straight line, but um, that you can also uh, lean over and do a turn, and and, and pedal through pedal through the turn. Um, and I had some ideas how to do it, but uh, I, I knew in order to, to sort of do it right, we should raise some money and hire some engineers and share the ideas and see um, uh, see what they came up with. So. So you get the first prototype, the one that you finally say, ah, there's something here. Then yeah. then what? How many prototypes? Well, that was really the, that was probably the moment. You know, I. Uh, Hussein asked a, you know, a few minutes ago, when was that moment when I, when I sort of said, this is the coolest thing ever? Um, uh, you know, I can look back now and identify that first prototype uh, at the, uh, you know, in the engineer's house in, in Portland, Washington, um, in early 07 was, you know, was that first moment. Uh, and it was, it was, it was very crude. Um, it was an old mountain bike with a bunch of salvaged parts uh, perched onto a uh, onto a frame, um, uh, and the you know the difference was that the, the the bike wasn't bolted to the frame. The bike was was attached to the frame via um, some pivot points and a linkage unit um, that allowed the bike to move. And uh, even even that first rudimentary prototype, as rough as it was. Um, gave me a lot of confidence that uh, this could be done, and it was worth um, it was worth pursuing and uh, worth uh, spending the rest of that raised money to to get this proof of concept. So that first prototype cost less than three or four hundred dollars. Um, um, how many prototypes did you have to build before you got to sort of the version that became showing to yeah, people. That, that that people were buying? Yeah, that well, that what we that sort of first phase of, of development, we made two prototypes. Um, we made that first very rough, um, and then we uh, then we made a second, which was going to be our proof of concept. Really, the first one was so fragile and, and rough that I was the only one who could ride it. Uh, we were afraid of breaking it, and um, you know the engineers were were I think uh, real um, uh, smart, and we weren't playing with a lot of money, so. Uh, we were keeping all the costs down as much as possible. The second one we made, we we actually bought a working, uh, you know, commercial indoor cycle, um, and and basically cut it up 
cut it apart and, and, and mounted it onto a more robust frame using uh, essentially the same you know, uh, pivot points and linkages and, and mounting position as we had the first prototype, but it was a much more robust unit. Gotcha. And and in uh, the global uh, headquarters for Real Rider International, um, yeah. still have the uh, the original prototype. We have the original working prototype, the second prototype. The first one, uh, literally, I think, sort of fell apart, and we salvaged a couple parts when we were making the second one. So you, you don't have the first one. The first one stayed up in in Portland, never made it down here. It was it was literally probably only ridden for um, a, you know a total of uh, an hour or two. Yeah. Do you still have a picture of it by any chance? You know, I've been trying to track down a picture of that first one for a long time, and I, I don't. I can't find one. Um, it was an old purple uh, mountain bike. Um, uh, nothing fancy or, or pretty about it. Um, it we put a, a flywheel from an old spin bike on it, um, and uh, it was the, you know, the... the Resistance mechanisms were, were, were noisy uh, springs coming off of the, the rear hub um, to keep it from falling over. But the, you know, the angles um, and the way the bike was perched on, on the uh, linkage points and, and pivots was what we were trying to identify and, um, and, and figure out, you know, how, how much does it need to lean, you know, and... Uh, most importantly, really, you know, what's the lean, uh, the axis leaning angle, and uh, the relationship between the steering and leaning. You know, how do you define those and sort of optimize them for most uh, riding, uh, most common riding, I don't know, usage or, or feeling. You know, the, uh, a real bike out in the real world has very different handling characteristics depending on how fast you're going or whether you're going uphill or downhill or on flat ground. We had to we had to sort of pick a um, a single point uh, relationship in terms of steering and leaning uh, to make the bike feel sort of consistent or natural most of the time. Uh, but obviously, there's there's limitations there. So that's what we spent the, the most time trying to identify early on. Gotcha. And we do still have that the the working prototype, the prototype that. Um, I went back up to Portland, you know, after we we felt good about that first bike, um, uh, maybe three months later, to see uh, the second one, which was a working bike, and again, much more robust, and uh, I rode that one for hours uh, up there um, in our engineer's uh, yeah. shop, and in their living room, and then got it to my hotel room, and uh, that was a really, really exciting time. It was we were literally carrying this thing around under a sheet, like we wouldn't let anyone see it. Um, uh, at one point, we were at the engineer's house, and someone knocked on the door, and we were <laughs> bringing around and covering this thing with a sheet. And uh, you're like Doc with the time machine. <laughs> oh, it was so cool! And you'd be like sneaking it into the hotel. Um, <laughs> Uh, again, you know, under this big sheet, uh, <laughs> like a dead body. <laughs> it was, it was, it was no. classic, and I think how you know how nervous I was at that time um, that someone was going to see it and steal yeah. it. Uh, and, and it's a really funny.
interesting uh, thing to be going through. As That's a, funny. That's or or an, inv an inventor. I was becoming an inventor. You became an inventor? Yeah. No one can see this thing. And, no. uh, yeah, so, we and lost a lot of sleep in those early days, worried about, you know, the patent and getting, because you can't, we couldn't patent it until we knew what we had. And so that was where we were sort of uh, the most nervous and exposed was that, that period in 07 when we had this thing. And I was getting more and more uh, attached to it, and and get, getting more and more confident, you know, literally by the by the day that this thing was was going to be um, huge. Yeah. Uh, so you 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 must have a slightly different perspective than most people when you go on a on a show floor, because you are now uh, actor, professional cyclist, and on your resume you now have uh, inventor as well. Um, what's What's something? What's an idea that you've seen in the health and wellness industry that you wish was yours? Oh, that's a great question. Huh. Huh. Um, uh, well, I was, uh, you know, my other um, um, sort of athletic passion as a kid was uh, skiing, uh, and so there have been a couple of. Uh, ski or ski motion uh, based machines that uh, I really liked and uh, and um, again you know I've been purely for personal reasons and um, you know it's worth mentioning I think you know the, the whole I never got into this uh, you know um, to start a company or to you know try to put stationary bikes out of business or or with a real business sense. I, I, I was very, very personally motivated. I, I, I literally wanted a better contraption for myself. Um, and I suppose in the back of my head I thought, and if I like it and if I use it, there's got to be other people who, who, who would like it and use it. But I really limited the, the, you know, the potential use of this equipment in the market to myself and my, my peer group. And, um, uh, so, you know, the other pieces of equipment that interest me are, are things that I would want to use uh, and play with. So there was, a, there was a ski machine that was made years ago um, uh, that I loved uh, as a kid when I was living in New York and I couldn't ski regularly. Uh, it was called the Skier's Edge, and I used to use that uh, regularly, and, and I really liked it. And I'm sure it, it factored into... Um, you know my sort of uh, ideas and design sense when it came time for for real rider. It was it was a pretty cool, uh, dynamic, but very simple machine, and uh, and it, it did a really good job of, of getting you ready to ski. And uh, it 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 could get me better prepared for skiing than stationary bikes could for cycling. And and so I was always a fan of that machine. I don't know if you guys know what are familiar with it. The skier's edge. It was basically two sort of arced rails with a platform that slid along it, and, and you moved sort of laterally from side to side, and had rubber straps. And so, um, do you do you have a home gym? Yeah, I have a very small, modest home gym. Tell us what's in it. Yeah, I've still got one of those old skier's edge uh, machines. <laughs> Um, uh, I've got a TRX, Bosu, uh, and a real rider. Gotcha. And yeah. just and, and jump ropes. Jump ropes. Yeah. All right. So you got you got you can only pick one workout to do. 
for the rest yeah. of your life. You can do it every single day, but you can only do one workout every single day. What would it be? Wow, dude, can we can we at least say indoor or outdoor? Because no. outdoor, I would have. You're to the boss it. here, Colin. And then it, it would be riding. It would be riding. It would be riding my bike. It'd be riding your bike. All right, we'll take. If, but if if I had to do one workout inside, okay. Or if I only riding your bike, workout, <laughs> you would be riding your real rider bike. I would absolutely choose my real rider. There you go. I ride it a couple days a week uh, to I, this day. And, uh, very cool. I want to know. Um, because I, I, I'm really fascinated by the whole starting the business thing, and and you've got, you know, uh, you went out there, you had an idea, and you did what a lot of people do. A lot of people have an idea, and a lot of people get to prototype stage. I can't tell you the prototypes that Hossein has sitting around his garage of things that I th I was ready to invest millions of dollars if I had it in your fantastic um, uh, the car jack, dump, the, the, the dump the dump truck bladder. It was a brilliant idea. I won't say too much. So nobody steals. Yeah, nobody. But but you but you went out and you did something. What tell me from the starting your own business, what was the what was the luckiest thing that happened to you and what was the worst decision you made in trying to do that? Well I Colin, I'm gonna answer what your luckiest moment was and I'm gonna say it was not winning the, the Tour de France. That was your luckiest moment. So what that's a great question. What yeah. what was what is your if you could just say if someone said Give my company happened. My company happened because this thing, thing happened. happened, and who knew that was going to happen? What is it? What was the luckiest? What was the luckiest moment? Wow, it's a, it's a great, great question. Um, the luckiest, you know, I, I don't know if I can isolate it to one moment, but uh, you know, everyone who works uh, with me at Real Rider knows that, um, you know. Uh, the, I think we're still in business, we're successful, um, and, and still hungry because of the product, because we really, we just believe in the product. And so I, I don't know whether it was that we got really lucky with our engineers, that, that they understood bikes, and um, they understood uh, me and, and, and my, I think, pretty... Um, unconventional way of trying to uh, explain, um, you know, with pictures and drawings and using my hands and uh, props, um, you know, what I wanted this thing to do. Um, I, I really don't. I, I don't know if um, my vision was, uh, you know, um, it, you know, history puts everything in perspective. And so I, I, I I'm still at this point gaining confidence that um, a lot of it w was that I, I did have a, a really clear idea of of what this thing should feel like sure. um, when it was done. Uh, you know, getting the right players in place and and um, sort of getting to that that end where um, you know I was sitting on that. Uh, working prototype and riding it and just thinking uh, this is it this feels like like what I wanted it to feel like um, uh, so, so it's me, hard to identify you know the, the engineers were, were definitely huge and the time I spent with them um, and their patients and you know we, we hired a pretty um, uh, I don't know very, very I would say old school. 
and handy engineers. We didn't design any of the bike on, uh, you know, um, on CAD or using computers. It was it was really done in a machine shop. Um, uh, so if, well if if you can't really recognize your luckiest moment or that 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 one thing that made your made Real Rider uh, a real company, yeah, what was the worst decision you made? Um. Probably uh, agreeing to this interview. Well played. So so not me. I don't know why I said that. Um, if we're uh, your low point, we're honored. <laughs> yeah, we're, yeah, what? Yeah, the worst. Staying there, the chance. <laughs> um, there was there were definitely some you know some growing pains. Um, uh, getting the you know establishing the team, getting the team together. Um, you know, I guess uh, I, I could say that, um, but I don't. You know, I don't uh, look back and, and really think there's much I would have done uh, differently, uh, if anything. You know, I, I think we. Um, uh, sometimes I, I uh, wish we'd been a little bit more aggressive out of the gate, um, but uh, I, I don't know if that. You know if that would have uh, ultimately played out to our advantage or not. And, uh, you know, we've, we've really done this uh, uh, sort of organically and uh, in, a, in a controlled way, and, and um, I'm, I'm pretty damn proud of the, of the whole process. But, well, I'll, uh, I'll tell you something interesting. Uh, yeah. You're now, we've, we've interviewed, you're the second interviewer for Gym Class Heroes, and uh, both, both of you were able to answer the, the, the best or luckiest moment Neither of you has given us a straight answer on your worst decision, <laughs> uh, which is I think is interesting. But, but that I think uh, starts to lead into uh, sort of our next sort of series of questions, and I'll let Lee jump in here. Well, actually, I, I just kind of want to make an interesting point because, as I said, I'm I'm really fascinated with how you how you started the company and how you realized you had something, and I think there you know you listen to your story. There's so much built in. Your your one fascination in the gym as a kid or as a younger person, was the thing that you could do outdoor, you could do your favorite outdoor thing indoors. I mean, like, it's built in there. But um, also that idea with Real Rider, you know, you were talking about being an actor and how the challenge with being an actor is that you are, you're constantly going up against the same people. And you are, you're trying to fill a role, but you, and there's, you're one of a thousand people who who could be exactly the right person for that role. And it's hard to really say, you know, it's hard to differentiate yourself, and um, and whereas with Real Rider, you come into an industry where you're presenting something that really nobody has seen. You aren't ten guys of the same ilk going up for the same role. You are one thing that uh, w one thing that an industry doesn't have, and if it wants it, you are the solution to it. Yeah, that's a really neat uh, way to look at that, and and you're right, and 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 as an actor. I was uh, clearly not good enough at differentiating myself. I used to joke all the time that, you know, that what, what really sucked about going to commercials was, uh, our, like, commercial auditions. And when I say, you know, that, I mean, not only commercials, but television. And really most casting calls was um, you get all motivated and amped up, and um, <clears throat> you walk into a room, and there's 40 guys who look just like you. And you're just kind of going, wow, this is brutal. And then you see the you know, the five or six of them that you lose every good job to, and you're just like, all right. And it, it was so similar to showing up at a bike race and uh, it being a huge field and they're all 
fit and strong in your age and um, good riders, and, and it's the same. If it's a big race, the, 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 the players are there. And uh, um, uh, so fascinating. And I didn't, you know, I think it's, you know, my, my partner Rich uh, points out all the time, um, you know, that many of the, of the great, if, if not most of the sort of great, and I, I don't need to lump myself into a category of great uh, pieces of equipment, but um, did not come from within the industry. I think it's it's sometimes hard to um, you know look for differentiation um, uh, from from within uh, the pool, I guess. And uh, I think uh, you know so much of the equipment that's designed in our industry, you know, really it is it's it's copycat or it's 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 fill a, a fill a niche. Um, there's a category. How can we make a piece that will compete within that category, maybe even differentiate itself within that category? Um, and I was not, uh, you know, I wasn't thinking any of those things. I didn't learn to think any of those things until, you know, we came to market with our bike, and then suddenly I was uh, really interested in, in, in so, and so, well, notion, and like, how did, to differentiate ourselves. So, and did you, know, you how just to differentiate better? Did you discover, I mean, like comparing to the audition process, did you discover when you, when you started selling Real Rider, when you were showing it on trade show floors, that people were like, wow, this, I mean, were they getting it? Were people getting the difference right away? Yeah, that, that's, a, that's, a, that's a funny one because the um, people did get it right away. Um, I, I tell the story uh, often that, you know, that we introduced in, in um, 08, uh, URSA, you know, the big North American trade show. Um, we had uh, 48 bikes, 47 or 48 bikes, I think, out of the out of the 50 that we made in our first beta production run. Um, there was a couple that uh, didn't go together quite right. So we ended up with 47 or 48 bikes that we shipped from Taiwan. We brought them all to Ursa. We got a huge booth. Um, we really were were going to you know make a splash and, and introduce the product. Um, all our patents had been uh, submitted, uh, and uh, I thought we were the hit of the show. Like I really felt fantastic about how the show went. Um, there was a lot of buzz in the booth. We we had classes going on, you know, all day for the three days, and it was um, uh, the sort of enthusiasm was was uh, was great. And you know, a couple people were. Literally, like you know, hugging me and thanking me, and uh, we had people I completely didn't ex expect. Um, you know, markets, uh, elderly people. Um, who you know, there was a there was an elderly woman, probably in her mid seventies, uh, who came and took three or four classes on our bike, and uh, she almost had me in tears at the end. She was like, "I can't thank you enough. You know, I haven't ridden a bike in twenty years, and." Uh, this is, is like riding a, riding a bike to me. And it was, it was a surreal and uh, powerful uh, moment and experience. And I, I really felt like we'd arrived. I was like, this is it. This is, this is it. And, and so fast, you know, it was like less than a year and a half after sort of starting the whole thing. Um, and people seemed to get it. And um, just, just for the record, Colin, just yeah. for the record, when I saw it, I wept. Right. I wept. <laughs> wept. They, when, when I saw your dump truck bladder, I cried a little bit too. Yeah, yeah, a little on the inside. Um, two quick. The ones. irony yeah. was, you know, we didn't sell a bike for six months, and 
Um, so who bought the first bike? We could barely give those bikes away, and, and they were they were working bikes. I mean, they, 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 there was a few kinks. Um, we 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 made a few tweaks to uh, the tooling and the the bikes. We knew going in um, that those uh, 48 bikes that we made weren't perfect, um, and we were already making uh, some running changes um, to the bikes uh, we manufacture out of Taiwan. Um, you know, at the factory in Taiwan. Um, uh, as we were shipping those bikes to, to arrive here to go to Ursa, and uh, you know, it, it was uh, it was funny to me. You know, all these people were enthusiastic, but no one was ready to buy the bikes. Um, who, who bought the very first bike? Who was the very first client who bought a bike? Um, I don't remember. It's probably in our QuickBooks. I could probably figure that out, but. Uh, the one, there was a small club in San Diego that bought uh, six or seven of those bikes, um, uh, again, after about, uh, about six months. We met them at that URSA. They, we, they came up to our um, office in uh, Santa Monica a few times, and eventually we sold uh, them, I think, six or seven of those bikes. And, um, and we ended up selling those bikes. In, in kind of small batches, ones and twos, uh, we sold to some unexpected, you know, the physical therapy rehabilitation market was really one of the first um, to step up and, um, you know, take take a chance with us. Um, uh, again, it was, you know, something I, I hadn't really thought about. My partner, Rich, certainly had, had it had occurred to him that it would be a wonderful uh, physical therapy rehabilitation um, tool, product. Uh, but I was uh, assuming we would be um, in the commercial in the commercial clubs. Yeah, we yeah we would be going to uh, indoor cycling. Well, I will tell you the first time I saw the bike was a club here in D.C. called Vita, and right. uh, I was they're also a client of MotionSofts, and I was actually walking by, and they hadn't even uh, uh, put them together yet. And uh, I was talking to the general manager. He's like, yeah, we, we're trying out this new bike that's supposed to ride like a real bike. And uh, I think uh, about a, whatever, whenever it was, I saw, and then I, when I came to Ursa the following year, uh, I made a point of coming up to you guys and walking by, and that's when I, when I wept heavily. <laughs> but, um, yeah, Vita was one of our first customers. Yep. They were early. They were early on. They did yep. not get those... Uh, any of those uh, original beta production bikes, but they were among the first with our, um, really what is still our, our, our current uh, model. We've, we've made tweaks, uh, small tweaks and changes, but we have not um, done a redesign uh, so, since we so released. Two questions, for one, one about Real Rider, and then one for you specifically. Um, just generally, or maybe in, within the industry, who's your mentor? Who do you look up to for answers? Um, within the in, within the industry, uh, uh, really, my my partner Rich Hansen uh, is uh, is my mentor and um, uh, and guide. Uh, he uh, has been in this business for uh, for quite some time, and um, he knows the uh, he knows the industry uh, inside and out. He was uh, he worked. Uh, with Nautilus early on, um, and was one of the original uh, founders of Stairmaster. Uh, really, found Stairmaster when it was a company um, 
pretty much like real rider uh, you know um, and I think that he, he tells the story much better than I do but he, he said that you know that being in this industry for as long as, as he had the um, what fascinated him was was new products and products that just made sense and uh, um, when Rich saw the first working uh, real rider in our garage, he, he just, uh, you know, uh, stepped up and, and, and really wanted all in. And, and uh, how, how did you meet Rich? Um, Rich was uh, working with um, uh, the gentleman Sean Harrington, who was the first guy who who I met, who I bounced the idea off, who helped me get the uh, you know stage one going. Gotcha. Uh, so they work together, and uh, uh, so, Sean, Sean has now has since retired, and, and Rich and I are um, are still still going strong. Sure. Um, um, so you you you've developed the real rider. Unfortunately for you, the uh, the ski mill or the ski treadmill uh, has is an idea that's already been developed. Uh, yeah. Can you can you tell us about what's next at Real Rider? Without. Um, I know, I know. There's a big announcement somewhere. There always is a big announcement, but can you tell us a little bit about it? Um, not really. Ah. Um, uh, Would you tell another I'd podcast? Love you. <laughs> I'd love to. I definitely. I, I promise you'll be the first podcast I, I reveal. I reveal to. But uh, no, I'm a. You know, I'm a bike guy, and I'm. Uh, I'm not really all that keen on. Um, you know, developing a, a line of products that don't uh, really speak to me or resonate uh, gotcha. with me. I think the only reason we got this right was um, because uh, it really is it really is kind of my wheelhouse. And uh, I guess, you know, there was a, you know, when you ask about, you know, my dream and was acting my dream or writing my dream, and yeah, I, I kind of thought they were my dreams, but uh, everything paled in comparison when I really sort of sunk my teeth into Real Rider. And uh, my wife was, was the first, to, to really identify it. Um, I'd never really uh, fancied myself, uh, you know, a hard worker or, uh, or being particularly disciplined uh, outside of sports. Um, you know, as an athlete, I had learned to, to, to be um, pretty disciplined uh, and uh, learned the sort of value of, of consistency and hard work. And uh, But uh, outside of... of um, uh, sport, I really hadn't ever crossed that that divide, and, and as an actor, I don't, you know. Uh, again, I think if I look back on it, I, I was not as hard a worker um, as I could have been, and uh, but that really, you know, real writer changed all that. And, and my wife was the first to sort of say she's never seen me um, happier, uh, more engaged. Um, so excited working, to go to work. Working harder. I stay up late working. You know, my, my kids go to bed, and and I I go back to work, and I don't watch much TV, I don't, um, uh, you know, I've sort of identified, it really helped me identify what was important in my life and, uh, you know, uh, my family and, and my health and, and exercise, um, but this work, and I attribute it all to, it just, it's, it's the right fit for me, and uh, I, I loved bikes as a kid, I learned to love racing bikes and, and competing on bikes um, as, a, as a young adult, and, and then I, you know, was able to sort of transition and segue back to you know, loving bikes uh, recreationally and, and, and for fun, and um, I'm, I'm I'm just such a huge uh, fan of the of the apparatus and the equipment 
and and I'm sure that's what you know um, all sort of uh, led to you know creating this piece of equipment that that has a a unique um, you know feel and characteristics and I don't I, I think I'd be kidding myself to think I could just look at other equipment and say oh you know what that needs is one of those or that uh, all you need to do to make this more interesting is is uh, this uh, the the idea when I think about how many hours um, I spent uh, sort of noodling away on rollers you know uh, creatively daydreaming um, about how to sort of solve this problem I had. Uh, I don't think that could ever really be uh, replicated. Um, well, but, uh, so know. thinking of the word replicate, it, what would you? What would be your advice to somebody similar as you? Has an idea? I really think I got something yeah, here. Um, what What would you tell them about starting their own business and getting out and 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 trying to make a go of it? What's your advice? Yeah, it's so cliche, but it's you know I guess cliches exist for a reason. You know that that first step is is absolutely the hardest step, and uh, um, I, I guess one thing you know that maybe some people haven't thought of is you know most people who have an idea um, are um, uh, they get really preoccupied with it with the notion that someone's going to steal their idea um, uh, if they reveal it, and so like the great American novel, there's a lot of people who never they never write it, they never execute. Um, because it's not perfect, or it's, it's not quite the right time, or um, they're afraid uh, someone might might poach their idea. And um, the longer I've been doing this and going through the whole uh, intellectual property, uh, patenting, trademarking, uh, bringing an idea to market, um, uh, being in this world now, I I. I find myself encouraging people really to, to just take that first step and and uh, you know obviously you want to be careful and you, you don't want to expose an, a great idea um, to someone who could steal it but there's a, there's easy ways to protect yourself and um, when I think back on those times when we were dragging the bike through hotel lobbies under a sheet I, I really just have to kind of uh, smile to myself right now because no no one could have taken that. Uh, idea and, and done what we did with it um, and we you know we originally uh, when we thought well we'll make this working prototype and you know we'll, we'll have our proof of concept and maybe we'll try and license it maybe we'll go to one of the big fitness e uh, equipment companies try and license the idea for uh, you know get some kind of a royalty agreement we'll license uh, that's one option or you know if it's uh, if it really seems like a home run, maybe we'll raise some more money and try and do it ourselves. Um, uh, as I look back now, I think that the whole notion of, of licensing our idea, this particular idea within this I industry, really probably would not have worked. Um, I don't think anyone understood our bike um, uh, and its benefits and how to, uh, or would have had the sort of passion or energy to, to do what we've done. So let me um, let me let me ask you a question because I think uh, it's a good segue. Uh, you mentioned something interesting and I've been really excited to have this part of the conversation. You said uh, you talked a little bit about Well use the term the great American novel. The great American novel. There it is. I didn't want to seem like the eager beaver. Um, first of all, 
we're pretty sure that your father is not Dr. Seuss. <laughs> no. Uh, I was, could be wrong about that. He's not. Or, or Julia Serving. Or Julia Serving. <laughs> the good I'm doctor. A lot of people may not know, your father is, is uh, one of the world's most famous authors, John Irving. Uh, Cider yeah. House Rules, World According to Garp, just example, and Academy Award winner. Um, yeah. Which, by the way, you never did win. Just to, <laughs> not, to, not to go ahead and talk about your failures, but just want to point yeah, out. Yeah, thanks. You're welcome. That's well. If you if you don't like our podcast, we're going to bring you down. I, I actually have not completely given up on that one. Yet, so um, but uh, I mean, talk about the influence. You know, his influence on, on somebody who's got you know such an incredible career, um, not following a path, and just you know what comes out of his mind is what you see uh, on paper or on film. I mean, wh where where's his influence on you as a as a as an inventor, creator, businessman. Yeah, it's um, uh, it's all encompassing. His, you know, his influence uh, on me is, uh, um, uh, yeah, I, I almost don't know where to begin. You know, the um, you said something interesting. You know, the the one of the differences between you know my father and and me, and and really I think between um, him and most people was um, uh, he did have a uh, a path, um, a pretty clearly defined uh, passion and path uh, very early on. He, he knew, I think, earlier than uh, um, most professionals, with the possible exception of, of athletes, um, uh, what he wanted to do uh, uh, at a very early age. And, uh, um, you know, he was only in high school when he, he knew he wanted to be a writer. And, the rest was just how do I, you know, how do I execute that? How do I do that? And uh, how do I become the best writer I can be? And have, and you know, he he challenged himself and he, he surrounded himself with writers and uh, um, tried to get into uh, and did you know the the best writing programs and teaching programs and uh, it's all he wanted wanted to do. Um, so uh, I was always you know um, envious of that and. Uh, you know, I, I, I still um, sort of marvel at it, I guess, or, or, or don't know quite how he did it. And, you know, now that I'm older and, and I have kids and I talk to people um, all the time who, who uh, they just don't quite know what they want to do. And uh, I think that's so few of us do. Uh, again, I think that, you know, athletes um, and artists are, are, are probably the um, – uh, you know, unique, or you know, thinking out loud. That's uh, that's what it seems to me. It's uh, some some people know early on, um, uh, but not many. And uh, he he was very very driven and motivated early on. And you know, his his sort of creative influence, I think, was was very powerful. I always wished um, I knew. You know, even in in uh, in high school, I I knew the story. I knew that he he knew that he wanted to be a writer early on. I think that's part of why I, uh, uh, when, when um, you know, uh, acting seemed to be going well for me, and, and again, it, it probably went the best for me in, like, elementary school. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's, that's when I was bagging the, the, the lead roles um, uh, pretty easily, and everyone was saying, oh, geez, you should be an actor. Um, uh, and 
the Velveteen Rabbit was probably the highlight of my uh, <laughs> acting career. Uh, that's a tough role. Yeah, that's, that's a that's tough role. Very tough role. Yeah, it takes yeah. it takes a lot of range to do that. It's like the right? first Spangled Banner of uh, of plays. <laughs> Tell me about it. Um, well, look, we uh, and I and I pulled it off. I was uh, <laughs> I, I did I did okay. The um, and so I wanted to say I wanted to be an actor because I wanted to know, and uh, yeah, I wanted to be like my dad and, and and say I knew what I wanted to do early on and, and sort of commit to it and. But uh, you know we're not all that lucky, and so um, that's a pretty cool story. That, that's that's very interesting, and and just to kind of wrap this section on it, I think it's a great. What's interesting is that you didn't know, but now that we've heard your story, it's very clear what it was. Yeah, you know, yeah. It, it, it's that very it was, clear. It was in there earlier on when you talk about gym equipment. You talk about you know your favorite gym equipment was the one that was replicating skiing. You talked about being active and a wrestler. I mean, they're or even talking about trying to uh, convince all of his friends to get the rollers. Uh, I, I think I think you were a lot closer to it than than most people. But and I think a lot of people don't realize that it's there in them, and they just need to not be afraid to say, okay, I'm going to go forward with this because I love it. I mean, it's certainly an industry full of people who do love what they do. Yep. But, um, but I think, you know, when you're starting something, you're being entrepreneurial, that idea of it's also got to come from, like, it's truly got to be about who you are. And like we talked about the acting before, at real rider bike, I mean, that seems like it's truly who you are, and you weren't going to come up with it at 18, you yeah. know? So No, it's, no, I, I wasn't. Uh... Uh, and uh, you're right. You're, you guys are lending a lot of clarity to my life. You're making me about <laughs> well, we, that's what this so, podcast does for people. Exactly, and it's only 175 bucks an hour. So, <laughs> so I've got I've got sort of three three last little questions for you. Um, in third grade or fourth grade or second grade, uh, when you guys played dodgeball in gym class, yeah. how, how long would you last? I was pretty good. I was I was I, I wasn't. The best, but we, you know, we had a funny, uh, I, at that point, you know, we hopped around a lot as a family because my dad was an English professor and uh, was, um, you know, we were on like the, the world circuit. Uh, so, um, I'm, you know, e each grade was a little bit different, but I went to a sort of variety of, of kind of like small, um, um, I don't know how, how to describe them, it was such a... Uh, a mix of schools, uh, but we we hopped around a lot between um, uh, kindergarten and uh, like uh, junior high. Um, so would it, would it be fair to say, Colin, that at, in dodgeball you were part of the one percent? Yeah, I was one or two percent probably. I, yeah, I was I was I was a pretty good athlete when I was a kid. Athlete, jock. Actor. I mean, this guy's been everything, Lee. I don't know. I don't know if we can. I don't know. I don't know. He was popular amongst everybody. <laughs> um, so uh, everybody cheats. What's your guilty pleasure? Um, probably um, eating eating ice cream uh, at night, catching up on uh, sporting events that I've missed. Uh, I, I don't know. Who is your favorite? What is your favorite sporting team? My favorite sporting. Team, you know, I grew up in New England, so that I, 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 I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Red Sox, Patriots, uh, Celtics fan, uh, you know, pretty through and through. But uh, I, I'm not a huge, you know, uh, I, I, I was introduced to kind of like off, uh, 
off mainstream, non-mainstream sports early on, and, and I, my, I share that with my dad. You know, he was a, he was a wrestler. He introduced my brothers and, and, and me to wrestling early on. Um, you know, and so I, I sort of grew up in a house where we felt like a sort of minority. Uh, minority sports followers. Sports followers. Yeah. Uh, you know, wrestling and skiing and cycling um, were not, uh, never have been and, and probably never will be sort of mainstream sports. It's the hipster of sports. I think that's how, <laughs> yeah. it's how I would describe it. So um, last little thing, we've done this with everybody, you being the second everybody. Um, yeah. We're going to play a quick word association game. Um, I'm going to say a word. You're going to tell me the first thing that pops into your mind. And try not to say the word um. It's very hard. <laughs> Ready? You got it. All right. First word. Treadmill. Running. Member. Is only. Employee. Partner. Retention. Longevity. Diet. Vital. Exercise. Vital. Biggest loser? Uh, the one who doesn't participate. Spotting? Uh, helping. Healthcare? A mess. Technology? Awesome. We fit? Awesome. Locker room? Awesome. And my last one, gym class. Gym class? Yes. Um, awesome. There you go. You end with four awesomes. You can't. You can't. Four awesome. You cannot. Overall top awesome. That. You cannot top that. Well, Colin, I can tell you uh, personally, I love the Real Rider. Uh, over the last few years, getting to know you and, and your staff has been uh, has been exciting for me and watching you guys grow. Um, for me, particularly because we sort of, uh, you and I sort of, our companies grew. Uh, in parallel paths, uh, so it's been exciting to to share that sort of indirectly with you guys. Uh, like I said, I'm a huge fan of uh, of Real Rider. I have one. I use it. Uh, it's an amazing piece of uh, of design and architecture and uh, and technology and and fun all into one thing. Um, so with that said, we really do appreciate your time. Uh, thank you for joining us on Gym Class Heroes. Uh, Lee, you got anything? That's it. Once again, everybody, thanks for joining us in Gym Class Heroes, presented by Athletic Business Magazine and the iClubs Conference. Join us November 20th, 20th through 22nd, 2013 in San Diego with technology innovators and people who are independent spirits making a difference. That's what it's about. That's what the show's about, and uh, that's what Colin Irving's been about. So thanks a lot, Colin, for joining us. Thank you, Colin. You guys and are fantastic. I'm huge fans of both of you, Lee uh, Hussein. Thanks so much for having me on. And, our pleasure. Uh, Thank you. Let me first. He, he, he did say, he, you said his name first, but I, I can, we can assume you're just saving the best for last. And, <laughs> yeah, there you go. I'm going to assume that. Like I said, just because you don't win an Academy Award does not make you a failure. Colin has proven that again today. Um, and uh, we really do appreciate your time. Thanks, Colin. Thanks, guys. This has been another Gym Class Hero.